0: for summer barbecues, road trips, working out, or relaxing poolside. There's even a tailgate rock station for you sports crazy fans. Check out the new exclusive stations on the Odyssey app today.
2: Sorry, just wolfed down a sandwich in the break there. That's right. Dude's rocking, baby. Yo. Spicy? No, hot buffalo wing cheese. Not a good, not a good idea. When you've, got it, <laughs> when you've only got five minutes to to eat, it's <laughs> great. That, that's that you want to speed run just through. that a second. Like <laughs> <laughs> my, my God, well, man. So I'm doing intermittent fasting. Apparently, not during the break. Not during the break. No, it actually it just ended at twelve thirty. Okay. Um, it's you. You can't eat anything, zero calories, for eighteen hours, and you have a six hour eating window every day. Okay. And I like it because you can still eat, like, whatever you want. Um, Man, I'm dying over here. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm, com- I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But I've got a thing after the show today that i got to get to, and it's, like, catered. So I've got to eat during the show at some point because otherwise – and I'm starving, like, when you when your, your fast ends. That's how fasting goes. Right. right. And, uh, and, you, and I don't want to eat late and wait because then I'm going to have to eat, like, two meals, like, right in a row, and then you're all screwed up. But the wing cheese, man, was not a good idea. You could probably talk to Bruce about this. Bruce would know. I probably could. Bruce, have you ever had this wing cheese that's, like, insanely hot?
0: I'll level with you. I have never even heard of
2: wing cheese until you just now mentioned it. It's incredible. It it is incredible. It's so good. So if you've not had it, it's... um, Certain cheese manufacturer that I'll uh, I'll hit you up with after as to not give some free promotion here. But Bruce Nolan from Cover One joining me here on the Wester Hotline. Um, Bruce, thanks for coming on. By the way, last minute, uh, Sale had to bail on our appearance. Uh, the guys are down at the stadium. You're seeing these jerseys. By the way, I was talking about that earlier in the hour before we get to some real football. Are you a fan of the uh, the red jersey on the white pants? Because I'm I'm wanting to see that in game already
0: absolutely I'm a fan of it, 100%. And I think that really the biggest takeaway from training camp has been that the white face masks are beautiful, but also that we have a lot of great combinations that we could see as fans that would really kind of get the engine revving, and I think the red is absolutely one of them.
2: All right. Well, how has training camp sounded to you so far and looked to you so far? We were talking about defensive end in the last segment, so maybe we'll start there. Um After they drafted Boogie Basham in the second round and Gregory Rousseau in the first round, the number I always had in my head was five, because that's often been the number the Bills have kept around under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, but I don't know, Bruce, it seems really hard to pin it down to five guys right now at that position.
0: 100% the most interesting group, in my opinion, to see cut down day is going to be defensive line. Because... I think that we all just kind of thought that F.A. Obada was going to be a piece of this team, and then they drafted Rousseau and Basham. He and thought, okay, maybe not. And then he looked really good in camp, and you thought, okay, well, maybe Daryl Johnson's the man out. But then you got a glowing review from Keith Farwell in his press conference. He thought, okay, maybe he's back in. Just where do you go with this? Like, where do you go? And I think that one of the initial conversations we had when – Basham and Rousseau were drafted was maybe we need to start looking at this defensive line as one gigantic bucket instead of separate buckets for defensive end and defensive tackle, given some of the versatility that you have from players like Basham, from players like Obana, from players like Gregory Rousseau. Maybe they end up keeping three or four defensive tackles or maybe, you know, a number you're not expecting so that they can keep more defensive ends knowing they have the versatility to kick them inside. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. I have no clue where they're going.
2: Yeah, Bruce Bruce uh, Nolan, by the way, on the Western Hotline, at Bruce Exclusive from Buffalo Rumblings. Um, by the way, food for thought, debut last night with Nate Geary, right? Yeah. It, how'd, I, how'd it go? Was really
0: well, man. I was really excited. It was, I was really excited about it. We had a great turnout. Um, All right. it was a little bit different because, you know, Nate and I are used to having a specific dynamic from me being on sports talk Saturday and then him being on my podcast. Yep. And now it's kind of like, well, he's not really leading the dance and I'm not really, really leading the dance. <laughs> We're just kind of sharing the dance and yep. we have guests coming on and on. And I think he actually went really well for our first time. I think that there's a, there's a level of, of comfort that we have, a level of chemistry that we have with each other. I think it's going to be a great show. I've been very, very excited. the feedback has been unbelievably gracious. So I'm really looking forward to Friday night's moving forward.
2: All right. Uh, food for thought. Check that out with Nate and Bruce. Um, d- getting back to defensive end real quickly here, though, Greg or uh, Bruce, just kind of to go off what you just said, I think whenever I think about like obvious passing down situations, and that's a big snap count over the course of an entire year, I feel like Rousseau is inside. If I'm just throwing my four best pass rushers on the field, I'm trying to disrupt the quarterback as much as possible. I think Oliver and Rousseau are the two I want in the middle pushing that pocket back, no?
0: I don't see why you wouldn't. If you look at a lot of Rousseau's film from Miami, a lot of his success came from the inside. And I think a lot of people assume that because he's tall that that's going to be a problem. But he's also thin and he's agile. He's got a really good first step. So he can almost slither his way. It's a little bit like when a door is closing or you're trying to squeeze by your car in a garage and you walk in, you go, okay, okay. I'm going to suck in my gut. I'm going to think skinny, be skinny, think skinny, be skinny. That's a lot of what you saw from Gregory Rousseau in Miami because he's got that good first step and he can kind of slither his way inside there. And I don't think that the height is necessarily a disadvantage the way that some people think it might be. If you kick him inside, I think that there's probably some comfort level there and I wouldn't be shocked to see him inside and have, you know, Epinesa and Addison on one side, and you have Jerry Hughes on the other side. And then in, inside, you've got Oliver, you've got Rousseau, your second NASCAR package, your second team yep. can have some players that kick inside like F.A. Obada You have lots of different options of being able to get those NASCAR packages. You can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, but mm-hmm. those NASCAR packages, because as you said, obvious passing situations are a big part of sports right now in the NFL. And when you have specific teams that are just saying, listen, we're going to go too high to prevent a 50-yard pass instead of going one high to prevent a five-yard run. Like, that's just not where we're going to be at. And so then because of that, you end up with a lot of running that ends up getting you into, you know, manageable situations. But if you've got a scout up front, you end up in lots of third and longs. And that's really the goal of the defense is to get you into third and longs. And when you do, you have bodies now and waves of bodies that you can throw at people. You look at Sean McDermott's defense over the years and the success they've had, it really hasn't been from a singular dominant pass rusher. It wasn't that way in Carolina. It was waves and waves of guys that they could constantly bring at you. And I think that's clearly what he's trying to duplicate here.
2: Yeah. By the way, feel free to make this answer as short as you want. But is AJ Epinesa, you think, 100% safe?
0: I do. Okay. I do think Ebenes is 100% safe. I, I think they wouldn't have him do the body composition changes that they did if they didn't anticipate a little bit of a learning curve for him.
2: Okay. Um, I figured that was the answer. I just wanted the, to, to make sure on that because it, it would be stunning. It would be a bad look if you did that after one year. But this also seems like a regime where if they think they, – like, they'll throw draft status out the window, but um, – I don't feel like they'll need to in this uh, situation also. Uh, Bruce Nolan, at Bruce Exclusive on Twitter, on the West Her Hotline. Let's jump over to the offense, the wide receiver position. I feel like it's kind of set. Does it feel like the the winds are blowing towards you've got your four locks and digs, Beasley, Sanders, um, and Gabriel Davis, and then if they're going to keep only two more and go to six, I mean – I don't know how it's not Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie at this point.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that coming into camp, I think it was a lot more shaky than it is now. With the emergence of Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie being Mm -hmm. the first man up and being told that he is in the driver's seat for the return job, these two things together mean that I think the question shifted from who are those last two spots to are they going to keep seven? That becomes the the discussion, because every single year it seems like with the amount of 11 and 10 personnel that the Buffalo Bills run, you think maybe they'll keep seven, but historically they haven't. So this year it became kind of a a foggy narrative at the very beginning, cleared up now with Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie really, really stepping up. Now, of course, it shifts back to the, are they going to keep seven? And if they do, is it Isaiah Hodges? I think that becomes the more significant question Mm -hmm. as opposed to, is it going to be Isaiah McKenzie, who I think is an absolute stone-cold lead pipe lock at this point? Yep. And then Kumaro, you can't deny the reports that have been absolutely glowing coming out of camp in regards to Kumaro. So I think that narrative's shifting now, and I think it's shifting from who are they going to keep to how many are they going to keep.
2: Right. How about, I want to bring up a fantasy conversation, kind of, but it's more, it's not necessarily a fantasy conversation, more of a Bills one, but... As someone that's very glued into average draft position around the fantasy industry, I've noticed that kind of as the offseason has progressed, Gabriel Davis on many sites has taken over Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders as the second Bills receiver drafted um in many of these fantasy leagues. And his average draft position, I think on most sites now, he is the second Bills receiver drafted. Do you feel like that's right? Do you like what is the ceiling for Davis? Cuz I would imagine what are fantasy owners thinking when they're doing that? Beasley and his his volume, his target share is got to be pretty solid. But who's got the upside? And I think the fantasy industry right now views Gabriel Davis as a guy that has maybe this uncapped ceiling that we just haven't we don't know how high his ceiling is yet. Does that does that strike you as being right? Like is could this be a player that eventually becomes a 100-target player? Because I look at Davis, and I don't know that I see one flaw in his game, and I don't want to say no to him, to him being 100 a 100-target 100 player.
0: If this is a season-long fantasy league, I think drafting Gabriel Davis over Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley is a mistake. I think if it's a dynasty league, then I completely understand that. I think that there's a very reasonable chance that Gabriel Davis can be the 100-target player that you envision him to be. I really do think that. I do think that if the Bills were of the opinion he was absolutely 100% ready to be that right now, then you wouldn't have signed Emmanuel Sanders and said you didn't want to lose your fastball because they've had moments on other parts of their team where they have elected not to add somebody because they believe in someone they had. The great example, of course, would be cornerback two. They elected not to add anyone significant in that spot because they believe in Levi Wallace and they believe in Dane Jackson with wide receiver. They did add somebody. They cut John Brown, not necessarily knowing if they were going to be able to land Emmanuel Sanders at that point, but they went out and pursued Emmanuel Sanders who they've been pursuing for a while now. Mm -hmm. So I do think Gabriel Davis has the wide receiver to upside, but I don't think it's going to be this year because I think he's going to be capped by Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley in front of him. Now, next year, they're going to have decisions to be made because Emmanuel Sanders is on a one-year deal, and Cole Beasley will be a year older, and there's going to be some contractual things with Cole Beasley next year. So I do think Gabriel Davis has wide receiver two upside. I just don't think he's going to see
2: that this year. And then finally, Bruce, uh, on the Allen extension, that was the big news of the weekend, $258 million. Um, Throughout the whole day, the process, I don't know, what was the most interesting thing you found uh, with Allen's extension?
0: The most interesting thing to me was the structure. Because you're trying to figure out what's the norm for a quarterback contract extension now. Because you had Deshaun Watsons, which looked a certain way, and then you had Patrick Mahomes, which looked very different. When the Patrick Mahomes contract was signed, we were all like, what the heck is this? This is just weird. We have roster bonuses that get guaranteed the year before they happen, and they roll their way through. And It's a very strange, awkward sort of contract. It was extremely long. And then Dak Prescott comes back and signs a very traditional, straightforward four-year deal that is extremely player-friendly. And you start wondering to yourself, which one of these is normal? Which one of these is the market, right? Is Patrick Mahomes going to consistently stand out moving forward as being kind of an awkward contract and other agents and other teams are not necessarily going to follow suit, or is it going to be, well, Patrick Mahomes' contract is kind of the way we were going, and Dak's a, that's a, a, a kind of an outlier because of the leverage he had over the Cowboys. Well, the biggest thing for me was Josh Allen's contract looks a lot closer to Patrick Mahomes' than it does to Dak Prescott's, and so – I think this sets up precedent for other quarterback contracts. I think this sets up precedent for Baker Mayfield. It sets up precedent for Lamar Jackson. And I think that as you see quarterback contracts evolve, I think this is going to be the style of quarterback contracts, which are very different negotiations than a wide receiver extension contract, than a running back extension contract. You've started to see certain archetypes form when it comes to contracts. If you look at the Nick Chubb contract and you look at the Derrick Henry contract, you think, okay, there's starting to be patterns that are forming in the running back contract marketplace. Well, now that Josh Allen signed this, my biggest takeaway is the ripple effects it has through what a quarterback extension contract looks like now. And I think that as it goes along, Dak's contract is going to look more like the outlier and more like a very player-friendly, not team-friendly deal. And more contracts are going to look more like the Allens and Mahomes contract.
2: Bruce Nolan, follow him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Check out his new show, Food for Thought, with our own Nate Geary. Uh, Bruce, thanks again for hopping on last minute here, and uh, look forward to talking again soon.
0: Joe, thanks for having me, man. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours